0: Good morning, gents. Do you want to gather in? Excellent to see uh, so many of us here on the first morning. Grab teas, coffees. Let's fill up from the front. There's some uh, empty spaces in groups. We like to um, come together, just mix it up with one another. We quickly get to know each other. So we'll make a start in 30 seconds. Still some spaces going in these front groups. If you want to filter up, keep pressing ahead. Wonderful. Well, as I said, it's great to see you uh, this morning for the first gathering of Burning Man this term in 2016. Happy New Year. hope everyone's uh, year has started well. Um, my name is Pat Allerton. I'm involved with helping run uh, Burning Man, partnering with St. Michael's Chester Square. So excited to be back in this amazing building with the team here. And uh, we're really excited about this new term ahead. We're beginning a brand new series today that's entitled uh, Defending the Faith. And really, uh, that series is gonna be about looking at opportunities in scripture when uh, men of God are put in, uh, either put in difficult situations where they need to stand up for the faith, or they take opportunities uh, in situations to uh, stick up for the faith and proclaim the gospel. Uh, we recognize that we, we live in tough times and in a society that isn't always, uh, is at best indifferent and uh, sometimes even hostile towards um, the Christian faith. And uh, we feel it's important for us as men of God to learn the skills and see the principles required for standing up for the gospel in this generation. So that's uh, our theme for the term. It's uh, looking at defending the faith. We've got an exciting um, lineup of speakers. Uh, I'll be introducing our speaker this morning in uh, just a moment. But uh, something else that we're doing differently, uh, actually, for the first time this term, we've been running a couple of years now with Bernie Man, but um, for the first time this term, part of defending the faith uh, is actually, they say often, that the best defense is offense. Well, that's how the Americans pronounce it. Uh, and we want to go on the... Um, on the front foot as it were on a couple of occasions this term by actually hosting evangelistic gatherings uh, and turning Burning Man into an opportunity to invite friends, neighbours, colleagues, uh, family members who who don't yet know the Lord to come along and hear a simple proclamation of the gospel uh, for us as men to reach out to to try and invite a friend even if just all of us got one friend can you imagine Uh, it would be amazing to fill this uh, church out with people hearing the gospel. And so in line with that, in two weeks' time, the next Burning Man occasion, we have Rico Tice, who's one of um, the UK's most preeminent evangelists, coming to be with us, uh, which will be a fantastic opportunity. So I can't uh, emphasize enough. I'll say a little bit more at the end of the session as well. But two weeks' time, that will be a great opportunity to bring friends along. We'll set the chairs out, I think, in more standard sort of rows something that the guys will be used to, perhaps your guests who are coming with you. So there won't be discussion groups afterwards. It, it will be a chance to to come along, uh, have some tea and coffee, sit down, hear a real clear and powerful explanation, um, proclamation of the gospel in that session um, with Rico. So do take that opportunity. Be thinking over the next couple of weeks who you could invite, perhaps someone you sit next to at work or that kind of thing. Um, to join us in two weeks. And then later in the term we have Roger Simpson, who's another uh, evangelist, um, well known, very well respected around the UK, coming to be with us. But we're excited for this term. And our speaker this morning uh, is Stephen Foster. Stephen is uh, a curate at HTB, where he's been for the last few years. But before getting ordained in the Church of England, Stephen uh, was a criminal barrister for seven years. Um, so he's... Um, used to dealing with difficult customers. So uh, Stephen, it's great to have you with us this morning. I suppose if you're a criminal bastard but now a pastor, it suggests you've got a detective's mind but a shepherd's heart. So uh, we're delighted to see both in action this morning. I'm going to pray for Stephen and then perhaps we could give him a warm welcome. So Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together again this morning for this new year, for 2016, for all that it holds. We pray your hand would be on us, Lord, that you would be at work in each one of us as sons of our Father in heaven, that you would strengthen us to take our stand for you and for the gospel in this generation. Would you use this term powerfully to minister to us, to equip us for all that you're calling us to be and to do? And would your hand be on Stephen this morning as he comes to speak to us now? Holy Spirit, would you quicken him? Would you anoint him? Would you bless him? In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please give a warm welcome to Stephen?
1: Uh, thank you so much, and it's so great to be with you, uh, and just such a joy to be able to share this morning. And I'm really excited about Burning Man. Um, I, I mean, you don't need me to remind you of this, but sometimes at the start of a new year, it's helpful to remind each other of things. And uh, I just think this, this book, this word, these scriptures are the absolute fundamental thing on which we build our lives they you know they they, the scriptures this book it guides you when you feel lost. It's light in dark times. It's a steady hand when you fought it. It's faithful promises when you feel forsaken. It's a pillow to rest your head on when you're weary. It's a shield when you're facing trouble. It's a sword to wield when you're under attack. It gives you hope when you're close to despair. It breathes peace into the midst of anxiety and courage into the midst of fear. It's God's love letter to you and it tells you It tells you who God is and who you are. And it tells you, um, it reveals Jesus to us, that we have a God who has come and died for us. And right now that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, this group of us here. And I just think that's a remarkable thing. Um, And we know that all of Scripture, all of Scripture is God breathed, breathed by the Spirit. Uh, and my prayer this morning is that the same Spirit who breathed these words into being would take them and apply them to our hearts. Uh, and I just would encourage you, whatever, whatever it is that you do, to really dig into the Word. And um, We have this thing, HTV, the Bible in One Year, which I just love, has just absolutely fed my soul for the past uh, three years, and I help a little bit with now, and somehow has been downloaded a million times, uh, that, that I would just encourage you, whatever it is, find the thing that will help you to get into the Word this year daily. It's, studies have shown, American studies have shown, but I think, you know, they're probably valid here as well, uh, that the one thing, the most important thing in transforming your life in terms of discipleship and in terms of making a difference in your life, is reading Scripture regularly, which sounds like, you know, I have to be told that. But actually, it's so easy to forget the absolutely fundamental thing, that um, this is what we build our lives upon. And so Pat's asked me to come and speak about defending the faith and uh, on 1 Kings 18. Um, and so it's just, I think this passage is a really powerful passage. It's one of those passages that might appear at first glance to have Not a huge number of interconnectors with your day to day as you go back to your bank, to the financial conduct authority, to work at a law firm, where it is you're going to be in the next hour. But absolutely, this passage is key and teaches us a huge amount about what it means to overcome opposition. So, 1 Kings 18, and we're going to read from 16 to 40. I'm assuming you read the scriptures here um, every week. Great. (laughs) That's a relief. Um, Brilliant. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baal. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eats at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. This Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, "'Oh, Baal, answer us!' they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. "'Shout louder!' he said. "'Surely he is God. "'Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or travelling. "'Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened.' So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to which the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it large enough to hold two, that's an odd word, seeds of wood, of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Lord, you are God. You are God most high. And as we come to your word, we ask that the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's helpful, Pat said, it's helpful to share a few things as I'm just kind of walking through this passage about how I would approach it as I'm going through. And, you know, looking around the room, I've probably got far more to learn from you than you have from me, but I'm just going to kind of sew in a little bit of uh, how I would approach it. And the first thing I would always do is, you know, context is absolutely critical. So it's helpful to know, if you read a little bit earlier in chapter 18, that Elijah's back is right against the wall. Persecution has spread throughout the region. Jezebel is killing off the Lord's prophets. It's got so bleak that Obadiah has had to stash prophets hidden away in a cave. But what's remarkable is that rather than hiding, Elijah is going looking for trouble. Like You might think there's a time to hide and there's a time to fight, but Elijah's like, no, I, I'm up for this. I'm going to go and look for trouble. Uh, everyone's looking for him. Um, Obadiah says, when he, he comes to Obadiah and he says, uh, you, you know, can you take me to the king? And, and Obadiah says, people are searching for you all over the place. Everywhere and you 're coming into the midst of trouble that 's crazy, but there 's a reason um, Elijah can do that when I was I, I was uh, born and bred in Luton um, it 's a town which gets quite a bad press, so I always feel I have to apologize for it you know it 's one of these places which at first glance appears to have very few redeeming features. But I can tell you that when you scratch beneath the surface, it has none actually. Um, but I'm very fond of it and at my school, it's quite a rough state school it's what you would now call a failing school because it's been bulldozed and that generally means you failed as an educational establishment there was a guy called uh, Abijah and he was as dangerous as they come some people are born to love some people are born to write poetry he was born to fight um, he was a seriously dangerous guy and when he was on the rampage running around the school people would hide you'd never confront him you'd never get in his way And Jezebel is dangerous. She's on the look. She's murdering the Lord's prophets. But Elijah comes right into the heart of danger. Why can he do that? Well, we see in chapter 18, verse 1, because the Lord came to Elijah and said, go and present yourself to Ahab. So it looks crazy, but it's an act of simple obedience to what the Lord has told Elijah to do. And what happens when he goes? Well, there's just a few um, points I'm going to pull out as I draw through this. So firstly, when you think, and I'm just trying trying to apply this to what you're doing this term, which is you're thinking about what it means to share your faith where you are. Verse 16, um, he comes to Ahab, and Ahab says, Is that you, the troubler of Israel? My first point is don't be put off, push through. So if you're swimming against the tide, you're going to cop some flack, you're going to upset some people. It's just going to be the way it is. If you start speaking about your faith in the workplace, you're probably going to upset some people. Don't be put off, push through. Is that you, troubler of Israel? And it's just such a punchy question. It's such a punchy rhetorical question. Um, And Elijah comes into it, and you think, well, how are you going to... It's the kind of question that would make you think, how do I respond to this? But even a rhetorical question can be questioned. And I just just really admire Elijah's boldness. Um, Is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. Even a rhetorical question can be questioned. And it's just amazing when you see Jesus all through the Gospels, when people come to him with opposition, often it's a question which disarms. It's a question which uh, targets the issue, which, which actually enables um, breakthrough. And it's just so powerful. They, they, you, know, you would expect Elijah to be on the back foot right from off. Oh, you're the troubler of Israel. You're the one causing all these problems. You're the one raising difficulties. But actually... just twists it round and says no actually it's you. I'm amazed often um, people who hold serious weight in any organisation, institutions, um, are bold in every area of their lives. When it comes to sharing our faith sometimes we lose that boldness and we um, become fearful and it's so important um, to not be put off but to push through. When I um, started working As a barrister, uh, we have this kind of year long job interview. Uh, It's a little bit like the apprentice meets the Hunger Games for a year. So you'll just. And um, in my first week, one of the other people, there were 10 people vying for one job, and one of the other people realized that I was a Christian. And so all the senior guys had taken us to the pub to kind of welcome us, and he kind of leaned in and uh, said loud enough for everyone to hear "Um, Stephen, have you seen The Passion of the Christ, that film with Mel Gibson? And uh, I said, yes. And he said, well, since you're a Christian, what do you think of it? And the music stopped in the pub. Everyone kind of leaned in. The most senior guy kind of stepped towards me. And I, I instantly saw two paths open up before me. And one was the path where I actually said, I'm God's and I trust him. And the other was what appeared to be the much more rational path, which was, this is not the time to take a stand. I've only been here a week. I don't know these people. They don't know me. They haven't had an opportunity to see my life. You know, my testimony is not going to have any weight yet. I'm the most junior person in the whole organization. So I kind of, you know, said, well, yeah, I I am a Christian. And, um, you know, it's based relatively on the Gospels. So I I think it's true. It's this kind of hushed awe Everyone kind of leaned in again. And because they were very polite, it was kind of in my chambers, there were two baronets. Most of the chambers had been to Eton. So they're kind of this kind of courtesy, you know. So they, they were very polite. And they said, Well, Stephen, we don't mind you being Christian at all. Of course, we'd never mind you being Christian. We were very welcoming of Christians in this place. It was really exciting that you've got a private, personal, quiet faith that sustains you. And. Um, <laughs> And I said, and they said, we would just be worried if you were one of these Christians who believed in evangelism. And again, there were two paths open before me. And I thought, wow, you know, I have confessed Christ, so I don't really have to say any more. Um, but I just felt I had to. And so I said, well, actually, I mean, if this is the most important thing in the world, it would be odd if I didn't speak about it to you. It was kind of... <gasps> um, and uh, And then... That one of them just desperately trying to say something said, "Well, I guess if you could share in the right context." And I appreciate people come from different perspectives on this. But um, but the, the only thing that would really uh, we would really find weird if you're um, one of those uh, Christians who um, you know believed in spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and things like that. That would that would just be beyond the pale. So again, two piles opened up for me. And, uh, but what was amazing was that God really honoured it. So there was no kind of, I mean, I I. <laughs> It was a simple act of obedience I didn't pick the timing I didn't pick the people but it opened up and actually God used that hugely in that year so much so that um a year later when they took me on the joke was that you either had to be from Eden or be a Christian to get taken on at my chambers those were now the two different options um and it, it was just cars on the table from the word go absolutely cars on the table from the word goes so um don't be put off push through and that's what elijah does he pushes through here and it's um incredibly powerful uh secondly um don't think you're alone he's for you verse 19 it looks like elijah is alone summon the people from all over israel to meet me on mount carmel and bring the 450 prophets of baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at jezebel's table so that's 850 to one Those are not good odds. Verse 22, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets. I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets. But the truth is you only need one. God only needs one. You know, you might say, well, I'm the only person in my division. I'm the only person in my firm. I'm the only person on the board. I'm the only person in my whole industry that I can find who seems to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. God only needs one. I mean, two's better than one, but God only needs one. It might seem like the odds are against you, that the culture, the media, the messages, the tangible structures which, you know, a manifest in this city which don't appear to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord that everything is stacked against you but if you see with spiritual eyes it's very very different you have the whole host of heaven cheering you on saying testify confess me lift up a banner for Jesus in your workplace don't think you're alone He is for you, and he only needs one. Elijah's on his own, but he's not really on his own. He's not on his own through this challenge. And then, thirdly, don't waver, follow wholeheartedly. I just love this question Elijah asked, which actually is a question I think for some of us this morning. As I was preparing, I really sensed that. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? It's so easy in the Christian walk to hedge our bets in a thousand different ways. It's so easy not to follow wholeheartedly. It's so easy to kind of You know, to not take the risks, to not put yourself out there, to not put your skin in the game. I just ask you, when you're in your groups later on, what has your faith cost you in the last 12 months? Don't waver between two opinions. What have you risked for Jesus? Is there any public embarrassment you've experienced? I once was taken... um, out for lunch by a senior QC I was working with. And there's no such thing as a free lunch. And uh, after about 10 minutes, he leaned over and he said, Stephen, I'd like to know what the gossip is in chambers. And uh, I kind of paused and I said, well, I, I, in, in the scriptures it says, I'm not really supposed to gossip. It's awkward lunch after that, I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> just the sound of cutlery on plates. Um. <laughs> but what does it cost you? I always, I've always been struck by the story of Paul Pornogru Paul Negri was a pastor in Romania, and he once, uh, during the communist regime in um, Romania, he went to see one of his people in his church, and the guy was bleeding, battered bruised, And it turned out the secret police had just visited this guy and beaten him to pulp. And uh, he said to him, well, we must do something about this. And the guy said, no, the reason you've been brought to me is so we can pray for the security forces who have just beaten me up. So let's not complain, let's just pray for them. Um, and actually, eventually, the, the the very captain of the guard who'd been beating this guy became a Christian um, on his deathbed. So it was an amazing testimony. But after uh, the Iron Curtain came down, after freedom of religion returned to Romania, Paul Negru came to speak in the UK at a, friend, a church of a friend of mine. And afterwards, um, given that they experience so much suffering as the church in that nation, as churches are experiencing today. My friend asked him, what's it like today in Romania? And Paul Nagrew said, it's much harder now. You know, back then, it was really hard, but there was, it was, there was a clarity to it. You had one decision to take every day Will I confess Jesus Christ as Lord? And if I did, I'd get a beating. I'd be punished for it. But it was clear. He said, now it's much harder. I feel like I compromised my faith by a thousand small decisions. And I think that's the challenge we face. Don't waver, but follow wholeheartedly. How long will you waver between two opinions? Um, What's the cost we're willing to incur this term? When you think about those people you want to come to know Jesus Christ, what risks are you prepared to take? Would you dare to take a risk to the trajectory of your career that someone close to you might know Jesus Christ as Lord? What's the cost? It's worth thinking about that. And then fourthly, uh, don't lose perspective, keep a sense of fun. This is a very short point, but I think it's an important one. When you start thinking about testifying in the workplace, it's easy to become incredibly intense and um, beat yourself up. And uh, actually, if you go down that path, you'll probably get burnt out within a few months. Um, That's been my experience anyway. And I just love the sense of fun. Um, Elijah has in this passage verse 27 just the way he teases 450 you know 850 prophets who want to murder him who are standing there with weapons and can't wait for the opportunity just to kill him and Elijah's saying you know oh maybe he's asleep he's deep in thought he's busy he's traveling and I think that's the, the freedom and the fun and the joy that comes from knowing absolutely that the Lord is God and that he is in control. It's trust in his sovereignty, which actually enables a lightness when we come to hold this area. We don't have to put huge amounts of pressure on ourselves. It's to burden us down because the, vi- the battle is his and the victory is his. And Elijah knows that, so he's not worried. He can tease. He can have a laugh. He can joke. He's not fearful that they want to kill him. I love the story of um, St. Lawrence a Christian Martyr in the 3rd century who, um, you know, he, the prefect of Rome was, hated him and um, ordered him to die a slow, cruel death. He was placed on a kind of a massive iron grid pan which was heated up and uh, the idea was that he'd slowly be cooked to death. and they put him on this uh, roasting uh, gridiron and um, after a while he kind of turned and said to the judge, he said, actually, I'm, quite, I'm pretty done on this side. Could you turn me over so I'm evenly cooked? So it's incredibly bold as you're being um, martyred for the faith. But I think that's, you know, just to keep that sense of fun. Because the Lord's God, he's sovereign, he's in charge. We have our part to play. But it doesn't all depend on us. That's really important. Uh, And then fifthly, uh, don't hype it up, but ask for his help. I just think there's this wonderful Wonderful contrast in this passage, verse 26, and verse 28. The classic example of trying to make things happen in your own strength is the example of the prophets of Baal. So they're cutting themselves, they're screaming louder, they're shouting, they're making um, all this noise, desperately trying to create a spiritual experience, desperately trying to, to drum up something which will show which will show that what they think is happening is true and it's not. And if God is Lord, if God is in charge, if God is even more concerned that people in your workplace come to know Jesus Christ, then you are. You're not going to have to hype it up. You're not going to have to make things happen. Actually, he will give you the opportunities if you ask him. So ask for his help. And that's what Elijah does. It's so powerful. Verse 36 He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Would you let it be known today? I think it's a really powerful prayer. As you go into your workplace today, as you cross the threshold, say, God, would you let it be known today that you are God? I don't know how you're going to do that. But would you let it be known today that you are God in this place, which appears to exist without any acknowledgement that you are God most high, that you are in charge of the universe. Would you let it be known today that you are God? What a powerful prayer. You don't have to hype it up. Just ask for his help. And then finally, remember the aim is not for you to win, but to win hearts and minds for him. I just think, you know, when we talk about defending the faith, when we talk about overcoming opposition, when we talk about the battle, the danger is that we start to see people as the enemy. It's a victory we've got to win, we've got to be successful in. But the aim is not for you to win, but to win hearts and minds for him. You can easily win the argument and lose the person. Verse 37, what I love about this prayer of Elijah's is just how obviously um, his heart is breaking for the people who at that moment in time are wavering between God and Baal. So it would be quite easy to attack them, quite easy to wash your hands of them, quite easy to say, well they've chosen their path, that's a path that leads to destruction, let them get on with it. They're not my problem anymore, they've made all these mistakes, I just can't be doing with it. But he doesn't pray that. He doesn't wash his hands of them. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. He wants to see them come back to the Lord. That's the whole point. He's not interested in winning an argument with the prophets of Baal. I mean, he's going to wipe them out in a few verses, but that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it because he wants to see a generation come back to the Lord. And isn't that our hope? Ultimately, that we want to see actually your, your office become a place where Jesus' name is honored. To see colleagues, even colleagues that you find difficult at times, um, come back to know Jesus Christ. Um, so there are just six quick points in this passage about um, when you think about overcoming obstacles, starting to step out in faith in your workplace, um, about that might be helpful. But I think it's always helpful in every passage just to think, actually, uh, Jesus, where are you in this passage? Because the whole scriptures speak his name. And the whole scriptures reveal Jesus Christ as Lord. And we know that sacrifice reveals the presence of God in the Old Testament. And we know that on the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus reveals the glory of God, reveals Jesus Christ as he is the love son of God. It's why the centurion, at the moment of crucifixion, at the moment Jesus dies, says, surely this man is the son of God. And I just think it's worth saying that the things we think are stumbling blocks, the things we often think get in the way of us speaking about Jesus Christ. I mean, when we do Alpha, the small groups, uh, the, the, the small group after the cross is just an amazing thing because some people will have actually become Christians in that moment when they hear about Jesus dying on the cross for them. And some people will have almost a violent reaction to it. One guy in my group last time, just furious that we would speak about someone dying on a cross for him. another person just with tears running down their face saying he died for me the things we think are the stumbling blocks are sometimes the most powerful things and we cannot stop speaking of them we preach Christ and Christ crucified there's power in the gospel so I would just ask you again as you're in your groups what is the thing perhaps the greatest risk for you this term? Is it that you might, um, that you might be put off and you, you need to push through this term? Is it that actually the opposition, some, somebody might say, no, actually, I'm not interested, and that would be enough for you to back away. Is it that you'd fear that you're on your own and you'd forget he's with you? Is it that you actually yourself are wavering a bit and you need to recommit to following him wholeheartedly? Is it that... Um, you just need to ask for his help. Or is it to remind yourself that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms? And that's where we fight. And we fight because we long to see our friends, our family, our colleagues come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Who do you want to know Jesus this term, to come to know him? What cost are you prepared to pay? And where do you need God's help to overcome the obstacles? Those are the things I just invite you to discuss in your
0: groups now. Thank you. Gents, sorry, just one thing. I see we're breaking into prayer, that's fantastic. Um, Just before we do, uh, we've been talking about how we share faith and whether we make ground with friends, with colleagues. Uh, It's a challenging world, it's a challenging society. I wonder uh, how much we're praying for those around us. So one challenge I want to give us, or encouragement, is um, perhaps we should begin there. Uh, And one thing I used to do at university, um, I did it for about a year, year and a half, was every Wednesday lunchtime, well not every, I missed quite a few, (laughs) but we'd aim to meet up and pray, and even fast, for our non-Christian friends and family, or non-Christian colleagues, uh, to just pray that they come into the kingdom. Because we need God's help, um, and that comes through prayer. And it's something as simple as that, something I offer to you. is, Is there a time, is there a lunchtime each week that you could take 15 minutes, half an hour, to go and find a quiet place, perhaps with another colleague, and pray for your other colleagues? Pray ahead of inviting them to something, ahead of sharing. So just a point on prayer. And secondly, one final thing to share in your groups to challenge and encourage before we then... Pray these final five minutes. Um, why don't we all ask one another, who are you going to invite in two weeks' time? You know, let's have a sort of mutual accountability within these groups. It's not to be a heavy thing. It doesn't mean in two weeks, if no one's coming, uh, you're not going to come either because you're afraid to look that person in the eye. You know, there's grace, there's no condemnation. <laughs> come. But could we just now just spend one minute, two minutes, just going around the group saying, who are you going to invite? You know, which friend, which colleague, which family member. Um, And then let's pray for each other, and we'll close in five minutes. Well, gents, it's um, it's gone eight o'clock. We like to try and honor time. Do finish your prayers, take your time. Fantastic to have you with us uh, this morning. Thank you again, Stephen, for coming to join us. Thank you for your encouragement, your challenge. And the perfect way to start and tee up this term, uh, looking out, uh, looking to get on the front foot. Be bold, be courageous, um, and in two weeks' time, guys, let's, let's gather. Let's think of other, um, we'd love your help, thinking of just other brothers, uh, friends we've got in, in our own church that you think this would be a blessing to. I mean, Burning Man, we, we've got a, a sort of, not a website, but a blog site where the talks go up. It's had 25,000 hits, so there's a lot of hunger out there. There's interest. I appreciate not everyone can make it at 7 a.m. in the morning, but uh, I'm sure there are more who actually would love to know that this ministry is going on. So, Do help us spread the word. We'd hugely appreciate that. If you're not on my email list, uh, give me your email now. We'd love to add you to the distribution list. Um, And also feel free to send me emails with others who would like to hear. Uh, I'm going to set up a Facebook event for the RECO event in two weeks' time and an emailable invite. Let's be bold. Uh, Just go for it. Um, It's a great way of sort of uh, nailing your colors to the mast, as it were, perhaps in your working uh, context, inviting them to come and hear a talk at 7 a.m., why not? Oh, yeah, thank you, Nick. And on your way out, there's a donations box. So suggest a donation, £5 each time to just help us with the cost of the ministry and to bless our speakers. So thank you, gents. Be blessed. Stay prayerful. And we'll see you here in two weeks' time uh, for Rico Tice.